Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, if you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, you'll see where we launched out into our study on covenant. It's just a simple verse, but we're taking some time off from Hebrews to help us understand a word that comes up in Hebrews 8, 6 that so many people do not understand. We have been looking at covenant since we got to this verse. It says, but now he, and he speaks of Christ here, our high priest, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he's also the mediator of a better what? Uh-oh, I couldn't hear you. Covenant, that's right, which has been enacted on better promises. But here's the question. What is a covenant? You see, the, the word covenant helps us understand much deeper our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's good to have your mind straightened out on some things. Yesterday, I was walking through the house in a brisk pace. I was barefooted. <laughs> And I walked into the kitchen. We have these iron chairs that are sitting on some carpet. You know, in other words, they don't move. And as I took full stride with my left foot, my little toe caught on the leg of that chair. And I broke it. And it was the funniest looking thing. I had to laugh. I mean, it was a little painful, but I had to laugh. Because my foot was this way, and my toe just stuck straight out. <laughs> Diana said, what did you do? What did you do? I said, look at my foot. It's just awesome. I said, the toe goes out this way. And Diana said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. So I just reached down, grabbed my toe, and, <laughs> and you could hear it all through the whole kitchen. And I, I straightened it out. And it's wonderful this morning to have a straight toe for a chain. The thing was sticking out that way. <laughs> it's helpful to straighten things out. Anyway, Sometimes when you straighten them out, it's a little painful, isn't it? When you begin to discover what covenant really says, and we're going to begin to look at that today. Covenant is the strongest word for a binding relationship in any language. After Adam's sin in the garden, Genesis 3, and doomed all of mankind because we were yet unborn in the loins of Adam to eternal separation from God, it was God. Now, you have to remember this. It was God who initiated the process to make a way for man to be in an eternal relationship with him. It was God's idea. It was not man's idea. Man had sinned and therefore was separated from God. But God chose to make a way for a relationship. It was God who promised that a seed would be born of woman, that a child would be born of woman, the God-man. He said in Genesis 3.15 that a seed would be of woman that will crush the head of the devil. Then in Genesis 15, he covenants with Abraham and promises him a land and a nation and a seed. He would get his humanity through the nation of Israel. He would be born into this world. The one who created this world would actually come back into it. He would come to redeem mankind and to make a way for man to, to be related once again to God. Now, Christ has come, 
And we celebrate his faithfulness to do what he said he would do when we sing, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. God has sent Christ into the world to make a way for us all to have a relationship with him. But now listen, not just any old relationship. You know, some relationships really bug me. He's my friend. Now, what's your name again? Oh, he's my friend. Where are you from? Oh, he's my friend. Oh, you're married. I didn't know that. He's my friend. No, no, not that kind of relationship. A covenant relationship. The strongest relationship that a person could possibly have, God desires that with you and with me this morning. But covenant was costly. For those of you that have been with us for a few weeks, before any covenant could be cut, there had to be a sacrifice. They would cut an animal in half and lay one half on one side and one half on the other. As we saw in the covenant that God cut with Abraham in Genesis 15. Jesus came to be our sacrifice so that we can enter in through him. He is the sacrifice, you see. When the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you begin to understand what it cost God, whose idea it was to have a relationship with us. You begin to see how much it cost him for that relationship to take place. We looked at the language of covenant two weeks ago. And saw that the first part of that covenant, when they walked in between those, those bloody halves, when they walked in and began to start the covenant ritual, we saw that the first thing that they did had to do with oneness. That's the first part of that covenant ritual. The second part has to do with commitment. But the first part had to do with oneness. Now, this is the most exciting part of the whole covenant ritual because it clearly paints a picture of the awesome relationship that God wants with us. If you don't understand covenant, you cannot understand the relationship God so desires to have with you this morning. This morning we will begin to take each aspect of that covenant ritual. It's going to take us a while, but it so fits the Christmas season. I mean, it, it's like a hand in glove. That all of the people that we're talking about in, in the Old Testament, they understood this in their culture. We don't understand it today. We've lost the meaning of covenant. We've lost the meaning of accountability. We've lost the meaning of what it means to walk with God. But they understood it. They understood it because God reached into their language, took a word out of their own experience daily to help them understand how he wanted to relate to them. My prayer is that when we finish all of these messages that you'll sing joy to the world with a new vigor and a grateful heart that it'll mean something to you that this morning, even though you feel like a lot of people have rejected you, and I guarantee you there's somebody sitting out there and you feel like you don't have a friend in the world and everybody's rejected you, I want you to know God has not rejected you and God wants that relationship with you beyond anything you could possibly mentally comprehend apart from his revealing it to you. God loves you this morning. And there are three things that covenant teaches us, the covenant ritual teaches us about salvation. First of all, covenant teaches us that salvation is entering into oneness with God. Now get the picture. This is a pretty sobering picture. Here are the two people walking in between the two bloody halves of those slain animals. It, it was very costly. And it's, you're talking about a sobering moment when they would walk in between those halves of those animals. 
and they would stand there and they would begin to, first thing they would do is take their robes off and they exchanged their robes with one another. Now we see this, bits and pieces of the covenant are all through the Old Testament, but the whole ritual is not there in one particular passage. But we do see in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4, David or Jonathan giving his robe to David. In verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 18, we begin to see the, the motive of love and the oneness of heart that was so critical in entering into covenant with someone. It says in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 18, now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. It says that Jonathan's soul was knit to David's. Now, the word knit there means to be bound together, to be linked together, to be unified, to become one. It pictures an unselfish love that is pledged to one another in a covenant relationship. The word soul in the Hebrew is a little different than in the Greek. It has the idea of the whole person, the total person involving everything about that person. It represented one's whole self. Now, in their day, they understood that to enter into covenant meant something. It meant all or it meant nothing. All or nothing. When you entered into covenant, it was all or nothing. And they understood that covenant was a giving of one's whole self to be unified with another. Now, that was symbolized when he gave him his robe. In verse 4, we see the exchange of robes. Jonathan stripped himself, it says, of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. Once again, the robe was a picture of identity, of identity. Now, if John Sondager and I would cut covenant together, <laughs> wouldn't you like to see that ritual? And we entered into covenant together, and he gave me his coat, and I gave him my coat. He gave, him, he gave me his credit cards, and I gave him my credit cards, and I could go down to the bank by wearing his robe in that day, in that culture, and then say, hey, how you doing? I see John's robe is on you. You must be in covenant. And I say, yes, sir. I'd like to withdraw, and they would say, he doesn't have anything. Well, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> And if he could do the same thing with me, it was an exchanging of identity. We've got to get a hold of this. All that I am for all that you are, and you enter into that oneness together. Covenant is entering into a oneness of identity with the other. It's interesting over the years of teaching on covenant, how many people that I've seen in, in, in many churches that I've taught it in they love the identity part. Man, they will flock. Come on, come on, come on. You won't believe what we're hearing at church. We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. We exchange robes. We exchange belts. We exchange names. They love that part. But they run like a scalded dog when you start talking about the second part of the covenant. That it's all or nothing. That you enter in giving of yourself as well as receiving of the other. When Jonathan stripped himself of the robe... He was entering into a covenant oneness as a friend for life with David. Jonathan knew what this covenant relationship with David would cost him. In fact, if you'll study the life of, 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 of these two guys, you'll find that Jonathan had to protect David from his own father, Jonathan's father, Saul. And you see many times how he's protecting him, how, he, how he's honoring the covenant that they had entered into. Now remember that God chose to use the word covenant 
to describe the relationship that he wanted with us. Now, you can go into their culture, and you can see it with man with man, but now we're talking about God with man. Jesus left his throne in glory to come into the world in which he created to wear our sinful robe of humanity to the cross so that you and I might be in covenant relationship with God. He counted the cost. He, he wore our robe of humanity to the cross so that we could exchange and wear his robe of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see the exchange. You know, Christianity is not just a changed life. It's an exchanged life. All that I am, which is nothing, for all that he is. And that's the marvelous covenant relationship God wants with you and with me. In Hebrews 2.14, as we studied earlier in our study of Hebrews, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Christ, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil." and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Remember, if you're of Christ, you're in the descendancy of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The word propitiation simply means to satisfy the Father that now there can be a relationship between him and with man. Sin has been dealt with. Now, why would he do this? Now, you keep seeing this over and over again. The motive of covenant is love. John 3, 16. Well, why don't you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. This was the only way that man could ever be in covenant with God. You've got to understand, God initiated this whole thing. God wanted the relationship. Man has never wanted the relationship with God. It's God wanting the relationship with man. But sin had to be dealt with because it separated man and God. And therefore, Christ came to deal with it. There were three crosses. On one thief on one side, sin was in him. And sin was upon him. He blasphemed all the way to the moment he took his last breath. On the other thief, however, sin was in him, but it was not on him because he repented on the cross. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But with the Lord Jesus, sin was on him, but never in him. He became sin for us. Man was hopelessly lost. And God did this all because he loved mankind. I hear it all the time. Nobody loves me. God doesn't love me. And I want to think, what kind of pity party are you having today? Wake up and pay attention. He's already shown you that he loves you. But you don't know what I've done. I know, but he did. But you don't, he could never forgive me. Yes, that's right. He, he couldn't apart from the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the shed blood of Jesus was greater and more powerful than the sin of the whole world. It even allowed him back into heaven when he went back as the God-man. Joy to the world, the Lord 
is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Christianity is not just getting into heaven. Are you kidding? Not an insurance policy. It's getting heaven into us. Covenant teaches us that salvation is entering in to a oneness with God who loves us. That's what covenant teaches us. But secondly, covenant teaches us that salvation is surrendering yourself to Christ. You see, if salvation is entering into an identity with Christ by putting on the robe of righteousness, somebody's going to say, but Wayne, how do I do that? How do I enter into a oneness and relationship with God through Christ? Well, it begins in believing in who Christ is and trusting in His work on the cross to save you. Not your own works, not your religion, not your church, only Christ, faith alone, in Christ alone. The gospel is so beautiful when it's brought out about by Paul to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 1, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. Now that's a key word. In which also you stand, by which also you're saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I, he said, I may be talking to some that never believed to start with. For I believe, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And if a person cannot believe that, then he cannot enter into this relationship which is unique and which is a oneness with God. Believing is bowing. The word belief itself tells us this. It's bowing and surrendering yourself to Christ. Allowing Him to come into your heart to rule and to reign. It's much more than just comprehending something. Many people can say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. No, they've heard the facts about Him and they believe that those facts are true about Him, but they've not yet believed in a sense biblically that it's speaking of here. It doesn't just mean to comprehend or to understand. Belief is entering into the way of death to an old way of living and entering into a newness of life with Him. Belief, it, it has to be an action. It's not just an understanding. It's, it, it's saying, I cast myself upon you. I am willing to totally trust you about the man who stood at Niagara Falls. The story is told. And he stretched a, a tightrope all the way across. And he got to the people. And he said, how many of you believe I can walk across and walk back? They had come from everywhere not to see him walk across. They came to see him fall off Niagara Falls. Everybody had their cameras. Some of the lenses were on steroids. They were ready to catch the expression on his face when he fell off Niagara Falls. Everybody raised their hands. We believe. We believe. And he walked across. And everybody sort of let out a sigh. Good grief. He, he made it. And then he walked back, and everybody was saying, man, Ethel, Ethel, you told me he was going to fall off Niagara Falls. I brought the best camera I could buy. And then he said to all the people, how many of you believe I can put a man in this chair and I can push him across and push him back? Oh, oh, oh this is it, Ethel, 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 this is it. Not just one man falling off, but another man holding on to him with a chair in between them. And he started walking across, and, he, and, and no, nobody would, would raise their hand. How many of you believe that I can do this. Nobody would raise their hand. You see, to believe, you've got to get up and get into the chair. 
you've got to commit yourself. You've got to present yourself. Just because you know about Christ and just because you understand about Christ has nothing to do with the fact that you're in covenant with him until the belief totally takes a hold of you and you cast yourself upon him. And it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Just exactly what covenant teaches us. As Christ said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But to enter into that life, we understand that we lose our right to independent living. That's what repentance is. It's a change of mind. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I want to live under your lordship and kingship. Salvation is an exchange of all that we are for all that he is and for all that he says. We turn our backs on our own personal agendas. We turn our backs on living lawlessly as we used to, and we bow before him and enter into a relationship that's more binding than any kind of relationship you could ever have. It's casting myself upon him to do what I know I cannot do. When we enter into this newness of life, something marvelous happens, a moment of salvation. It's like putting on a garment. It's that garment of righteousness, which is going to be reflected in the way we live. Colossians 3, 9 through 11. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A brand new self. You become a brand new creature on renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew or circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man. But you enter into a relationship where Christ is all and Christ is in all. That's what you enter into when you become a believer. So you see how the covenant helps us understand what salvation really is all about. A, a, a relationship, a cultural word that everybody in their vocabulary understood. Now God says, now I want you to understand, so I'm going to put this word into my vocabulary. I want to be in covenant with you. And I want you to understand that relationship. Now, every time you start talking about what we become and how we enter in and what we receive in the Lord Jesus, there's somebody who's sitting out there saying, okay, I've done that, but now what? Now that I'm in, it is covenant relationship. Now what? You see, covenant teaches us that salvation is entering into a covenant oneness. It teaches us that salvation is surrendering yourself to Christ in order to enter in. Faith, belief is casting yourself upon Him. But also, covenant teaches us that salvation is more than just an event. It's a lifestyle. You see, when one entered into covenant, he was entering into a brand new way of life. He's, loose, he, he's losing his right to independent living. You know, I have never heard God ever say to me in my prayer time, well, Wayne, I don't know. What's your opinion? But I talk to people all the time that are trying to tell God what he ought to do. And they're coming up with their own agendas and asking God to bless it, that has nothing to do with covenant living. When you enter in, you've just forfeited every bit of that. And now you're submissive and surrendered to what He wants. He's, you've lost your right to live as you please. Well, He had surrendered Himself to another in this covenant relationship. 
when two would enter a covenant relationship, a person had surrendered himself to another, and now everything, everything has become totally different. He's identified by the robe of another. He's identified now in ways that he was never identified before. It's the same when we enter into covenant with Christ. Colossians 2, 6 beautifully shows us this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, in the same manner, in the same way, so, I mean, walk you in him. In other words, nothing's changed. Just as you surrendered in to, to enter in, you continue to surrender and continue to enter in in a practical, experiential way. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, was trying to help them understand the evidence of their surrender to Christ, mentioned in Colossians 3, he said, the evidence of all of this, of the fact that you've put on the new man, is in your behavior that other people see when you're out amongst them. You see, we can stand in here, we can celebrate the birth of Christ, and we can celebrate what that means, but we need to start celebrating the life that Christ has put within us. And if we're going to live in covenant, it's not just an event of a one-time thing. It carries the rest of our life all the way until we see him one day and are made to be like him. You see, even though the Ephesians had put on Christ the moment of salvation, they needed to learn to live like it. He's not contradicting in all. Ephesians 4 is not contradicting Colossians 3 at all. And he says in verse 22 of Ephesians 4, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. I thought you already laid aside the old self. Paul would say, you have. Now do it again <laughs> in a practical way which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in your spirit of your mind and put on the new self. I've already put on the new self, somebody says. That's not what he's talking about. Start living like you've put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, the word put on, you might be interested in this, used in Timothy this way, all is in devo, but it also means to enter in. <laughs> I love this. It's in the middle voice. The middle voice is significant in the Greek because we don't have it in the English. It's, it, mean, it means that something has to enable you to do this. In other words, if you're willing to surrender to Christ in each and every situation of life, then Christ within you enables you to do whatever He commands you to do from that point. It's in the aorist tense. The aorist tense has a punctiliar action to it. You say, what does that punctiliar mean? Well, you've done it. Having put on, now put on. 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 You see, the victories of yesterday do not in any way assure the victories I have in Christ today. I've got to do the same thing today that I did yesterday. And as, each, as God orchestrates life, and as we go through this situation and that situation and this situation, God immediately puts a choice within it. The middle voice always has an invitation in it to join with Him. Because he only he can do this. And he invites you through the circumstances of life to, to bow before the same way you entered in is the same way you live in covenant relationship with him. We were knitted into Christ the moment we were saved. We were identified with Christ. But now we need to learn in every situation that comes our way to appropriate what we have already done. We've done it. Now do it again, again, and again. Not to be saved, you're already saved, but to walk in the fold of your salvation. We're woven into Christ, 
But we live in bodies that have not yet been redeemed. And we have a mind that has to daily be renewed. We must learn that to be in covenant with Christ and to walk in covenant with Christ is to say yes to God's way. Then that robe of righteousness that we put on the moment we were saved becomes manifested in our life as people don't see us. They see the Christ in us. Salvation, to me, is like a time-released vitamin. Anybody take those things? I do. You take it in the morning. Hoorah! That's good. And then about noon, whoa, hits you again. And then about supper time, whoa, hits you again. It's just time release. The event took place back here, but the effect continues upon you, you see, as you go along. I used to use an illustration, and I'll be honest with you, I apologize that I ever used it because it's just not right. I talked about an eagle being birthed into a nest. One day, just hatched out into a nest. That little eagle never did get to see his brothers and sisters, never saw his mama or his daddy because they never came back. He was fooling around in the nest, which was probably, I'm kin to him, and he fell out of the nest. Just by fooling around, fell out of the nest. Falls all the way down, but there's pine straw on the ground. He can't fly yet, but when he hits, he doesn't die. It just bounces a little bit. He starts learning how to walk, walks around a little bit. Here comes a flock of turkeys. And they take him in. They take him in. Are you lost? I can't find my mom and daddy. I don't know where I'm from. Well, come on. You can live with us. So here's this little eagle living like a turkey. (laughs) I don't know why I like this so much. (laughs) And, you know, eagles love storms. They love to get their wings above that wind and let the wind push them up higher and higher and higher. Turkeys are scared to death of storms. So he grows up scared of storms, and he would run every time a storm would come. And one day he was the last one out of the field running and trying to flap his wings so he could get there faster. And suddenly a gust of wind hit his wings, and suddenly he was 50 feet in the air. Suddenly he was 1,000 feet. He's saying, whoa, whoa, I like this. Wow. I can soar. Then I used to teach people, go home and learn how to soar like an eagle. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, if that truth was right, didn't soar so well this past week? Anybody besides me? Come on, help me out. Help me out. Come on. Well, Wayne, if I'm an eagle, man, there's not a lot of hope for me. Well, I'll tell you what I've got this morning. I got hope for turkeys. (laughs) I got hope for turkeys. We're still living in an unredeemed body in the sense that it has not yet been glorified. We're still living with a mind that is yet to be fully renewed to the mind of Christ. And every time we try to do what He wants us to do, live like an eagle, we fall flat on our face. But thank God the eagle lives within us. And when the old turkey says, Lord, I can't, you never said I could, you can. You always said you would. That eagle begins to lift us off the ground, and we're thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at me. And all the turkeys say, that couldn't be him because we can't do that. That's got to be something inside of him. I heard somebody say one time, if I wanted to play basketball like Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or some of those guys. He said, that'd have to get inside of me because I cannot do it. 
for me to play like them, they're going to have to get in me to play just like they can play. And that's what a covenant relationship is. God came to live within us turkeys. He's the eagle in our life. You cannot fly like an eagle on your own. But when the turkey admits he's nothing but a turkey, apart from the eagle that's within him, then something happens. He's already entered in. He enters in again and begins to experience the fullness of what this covenant relationship is all about. I have good news for turkeys. (laughs) Be willing to admit you're a turkey and let God soar in your life and let the people see the difference in who and whose you are. Having put on, now put on. And that's that's the part people miss. They try to confess their righteousness. You've been around this group. They'll walk around, I'm righteous, and I'm going to confess who I am. I'm going to confess who I am, and it'll get you to the parking lot. You don't confess righteousness. You pursue it. And the way you pursued it is the way you first entered it, by surrendering to Him. You say, well, Wayne, I'm, I'm in good shape this morning. Don't know why you preached this message. You are. Your family coming for Christmas? I want to see you soar like an eagle while your family's here. When the grandchildren are tearing up everything you got, when suddenly you go outside and find out that your four-wheel drive truck has been turned into four-wheel drive and you didn't know it two weeks before your grandchild did that. I want to see you soar like an eagle. You see, the only way you're going to make it through the holidays and the only way you're going to make it through life, having entered in, now enter in. Having put on, now put on. Put on, put on, put on, put on. How? The same way you received Christ Jesus. So walk you in Him. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And when He occupies you, your covenant partner, then He begins to manifest the life in you and through you. And people look at you and say, something's different about you. And you say, you know what? You're right. This old turkey got saved, and the eagle came to live within him. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? How are you living this morning? I just want to, with you, it's not a time to sing. It's a time to reflect and to pray. How are you living this morning? How are you treating your brother? What was it you said yesterday about your brother who's in covenant with you because both of you are in covenant with Christ and we're going to get there? How do you live? How are you living? Well, Wayne, I can do this and I can do that. You can. Have you asked your covenant partner? Have you asked Jesus if you can do that? You see, if we can understand salvation as an event, then we've missed it because it's not just an event. Yes, it's an event. It's a lifestyle. And we've entered in. Now let's enter in. We've put on, now let's put on the same way. Lord Jesus, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 